Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, who is everywhere by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going very fine, Kate. How are you this week? <laughs> Listeners, we may have had a discussion of NPR voices before we started recording today, um, which uh, we're going to see how long, Noel, you can stick to the NPR voice thing. I can't stick to the NPR voice thing very long because in order to do that, you have to you have to really get up on the mic and then you have to talk softly. And we know I'm too loud to do that. So you are very loud, Kate. It's true. I'm a loud person. I am not going to have the polite laughter. It's why we love you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, we we love NPR listeners, or at least I do. do. I'm not going to speak for Noel there. Yes. I I, I have a tote bag. (laughs) And you know who else we love? We love Carl. Carl, thank you so much. He made us a gif. Do you say gif as well, or are you a gif man? No, it's it's very much a gif. Very much a gif. Carl made us a gif in appreciation for our coverage of the uh, detectorists, not the detectorists. I realized after we had recorded detectorists last week. Um, so my question is, Noel, we need uh, do we need Carl to just keep telling us shows that he really likes and pesters about it for a while, so that we can talk about them and then he can make stuff for us? Because that was pretty sweet. Well, that's what I was thinking about actually. Was. <laughs> The fact that if what happens if we watch Detectorist season two, what does he give us? I don't, I don't know, but I think maybe now we've spoiled it because we talked about it. We should just like right. left it in the ether. Yeah, yeah. We're, he's on to us now, <laughs> so we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna get anything else. But no, the gif is is very very cool, and I retweeted it. He's tweeted it a couple of times, and it, it's very very nice. Um, we should embed it in this um, week's post. Yes, I will figure out how to do that. So that I can. I should know how to do that by now. And I really, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but uh, listeners may remember Carl also made, um, on the occasion, I believe it was the 100th episode, he made up a Televerse Monopoly game with different shows and things, and it was awesome. Um, so thank you, Carl, once again, for being awesome and for supporting the show so much. And we really do appreciate it. And we, I will figure out how to embed that awesome gif into the post for today's episode. Um, also, Noel, uh, we got to talk about just briefly, I think we have to tease a bit of a top of show battle royale that's, that's coming down the line for listeners. Uh, do you want to explain what, what I'm talking about here? Right. So what we're d- discussing is the fact that at the top of the show coming up soon. Okay, this is ridiculous. I can't do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> you lasted longer than I would have. I, I, I did. I did. Um, but no, it's it was starting to hurt my voice, actually, to keep doing it. Um, <laughs> no. So um, after Kate tweeted about um, having ill opinions about Age of Ultron, I was just like, you know, Age of Ultron's not that bad, Kate. It's actually pretty good. It's actually better than the first Avengers movie. And Kate was just like, no, Blasphemy. you're wrong. Right. And keeping in mind the fact that I find the last like hour and a half of the first Avengers movie just deathly boring. Um, Uh, We can't even get into this because we're not yet. We can't. Not yet. But so your television (laughs) podcast will be hijacked by a discussion of us ranking and arguing about 
like 17 different movies at this point. Um, so that's going to happen soon. Um, though whether or not I actually watch Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2 before then is entirely up in the air, and I probably won't. Um, <laughs> unless Kate pays for that rental, then no. I will. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. No, this is why um, I have a library. I literally I walked into my library this week and got like eight DVDs and blu-rays mm -hmm. and I, like i went up to this like hi so i know they said there's no limit on these um is there a reciprocal borrowing because i went over to the library the fancy library a town over because they have like everything uh, and yeah. and and they just kind of looked at me like no you can that's a lot of that's eight movies um they're doing a week i'm like yeah i know i know i just i got i got a lot of paperwork <laughs> <laughs> so anyways i will be rewatching several of the marvel uh the mcu films um and we are going to have a respectful discussion respectful. of and it's going to be it's going to be more respectful on my end than kate's and because kate's much angrier about my opinions than i am about hers well, <laughs> i was gonna say we're gonna have a respectful discussion of how you're wrong um like next week or the week after it should be super duper fun but it, it's actually been really entertaining for me to go back and rewatch. i watched avengers for the first time since it was in the theaters um and ultron as well and it's so bad dude i think you just are forgetting how bad ultron is i think that's my theory or i'm just reveling in how really weird it is no it's just it's just so bad like ah anyways for a future discussion it, it's not worse than dr strange yes it is it is no, worse than dr not. strange and i'll be able no. to say that with more of a definitive uh perspective on it because it's sitting over there on my night table <laughs> so that's pretty low on the rewatch list because it's it's a more recent movie i do the one i don't have that i want to try to see if i can like hunt down at a different library is the norton hulk which i have oh. not seen that's on Amazon Prime, actually, weirdly. Oh, okay. So you can you can watch that for free on Prime for some reason. I'm assuming it's the Universal thing. But yeah. yeah, you can watch that one on Prime for free. I watched it uh, last week. Okay. And it's it's really weird. It's a weird movie in the fact that it's very clearly not an MCU movie, but it is. Well, and that's what's so fascinating watching the older yeah. ones is when they were less locked into their formula. Yeah. It just made for much better movies, which will surprise very few people, but... Anyways, so I, I've been enjoying going back and rewatching, and and some of our friends of the the podcast are, are help going to help me get through Thor this weekend to the Thor movies because they're just they maintain that they're not bad, and I remember them being terrible. So hopefully we'll meet in the middle thanks to some wine. We'll see how it goes. I hope it goes well, and I'm jealous that you get to watch both of those with friends because <laughs> you alcohol. don't want to watch it alone. Nope, <laughs> or and sober alone. Yeah, because you just drink so much to get to Dark World or, yeah, Dark World or whatever the second one's called. And uh, and just praise be that Mads Mikkelsen went, sorry, guys, I have to make Hannibal. I yeah. can't be in this shit movie. Yeah. and But then he was in Doctor Strange. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just like, I don't understand how so many, like, you have Mads Mikkelsen. How do you mess that uh, how do you not, at least he got slightly more he got one scene in rogue one but like it actually was there was substance there it was so much better than what he got in dr strange that's such a waste of such a wonderful talent anyways there did you see the the teases about hannibal going on twitter this week yeah i did see that and i kind of went what <laughs> who's going to pay for this exactly well especially with netflix <laughs> like cutting things down and apparently yeah owing billions of dollars according to or millions i should say of dollars no no no, no, no. it's it's billions okay 
Okay. Yeah, no, it's billions. Because my <laughs> instinct was, of course, immediately to say, well, Netflix, that's the kind of thing that they would like to pay for. Um, but mm, maybe not. So we'll see. I so, don't know anymore. Yeah, I don't know the I don't know. <laughs> uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, basically on Twitter, Brian Fuller tweeted um, some stuff about this very vaguely talking about it, how basically they have to, they had to wait until two years after the the season three finale before they could start shopping it around but that that process is now getting started um so has it really been two years it has it's it's been two years yeah wow i when i i saw that tweet and went well there's the year that i've been since i've moved here uh-huh. and then the year since i started the podcast uh-huh. So yeah, that's that's two years. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's been yeah. yeah. The time, it, like, it's also like it's, it's just part of our daily existence now. Every day or hour feels like a millennia of nervousness and hoping we don't all have our faces melt off. At the same time, that it's just going like a flash. So it's very, it's interesting. It's an interesting time, as I think well, we all know. One day, Kate, the teacup will come back together again. <laughs> ah, teacups. Yeah, I, when if and when that happens, we will have to, you know, at least at the very least, convene for one podcast with with Sean and and to have have some some good. This is our design fun again, but uh, oh man, okay, I'm just gonna leave that in the future. Put that into the ether universe, <laughs> make it happen. For now, we've got a lot of TV to talk, and we got to talk also, of course, about the season and series finale of the Carmichael Show. That's gonna be our end of uh, show segment. I'm just kind of doing a DVD shelf on that with just the two of us, but really diving into these last few episodes and then just the series overall uh such such a strong way to send that show out especially since there wasn't like some big plan to end the show i just thought it was very fitting yeah i agree and i think these were maybe like their two strongest episodes of the season um particularly i really enjoyed um three-year anniversary though it cracked Mm -hmm. me up but it was also just a really thoughtful both both episodes were really thoughtful discussions about power dynamics. So, but more on that at the end of the show. More of that at the end of the show. But first, let's listen to a little music and come back with our week in comedy and reality. So we'll be right back after this. Do you sometimes that you're in sleep away? Something just feels different about you, babe. Don't want to hear about your crazy drunk night out. I don't believe that you just passed out on the couch. I can see it, something in the way you move. You're acting like there's something left to prove. And all these lies, they keep on slipping out. I said, I don't believe that you just passed out on the couch. This week in comedy and reality listeners, I know that there are people talking about right now how there's such a glut of mediocre, especially, but such a glut of dramas right now. I don't know what shows they're talking about. There's a bajillion comedies. We're only going to talk about a handful. 
of them. Right. And they all air on Wednesdays. Yes. It's mostly. really frustrating. <laughs> so we're going to talk this week about some a few, a few premieres. Noel's going to talk about Swedish Dicks, which had episode one and episode two. I'm going to talk a little bit about the first episode of Comrade Detective, which is streaming on Amazon. That's The Invisible Hand. I'll also talk about the first three episodes of Difficult People, which came back for season three on Hulu with Passover Bump, Strike Rat, and Code Change. Then we're going to just dip our toes, however slightly, into Insecure, Hella Open. I'll talk a little bit about the guest book, which I call caught up with uh story three mostly because noel's nicer than i am and then we'll go over to younger fever pitch before we we end with the great british baking show which had its season finale and series finale series finale as yeah. you know let's be let's be very clear it's a series finale <laughs> because we all refuse to acknowledge the season the uh, channel how well okay we're gonna we'll talk about this reasons, but yeah we'll get to it we'll get to it but like have you have you read much about the, the filming that's happening right now how, how do you hire someone who doesn't eat sugar? Uh, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get there, listeners. But the the baking show episodes that we saw this week were Patisserie and the final. We'll mostly focus on the final, I would imagine. But first up, comedy, Swedish dicks. W- what is this? Like, this is one that I hadn't seen anybody talking about. It just kind of popped up when I went through a premiere calendar. And uh, I s- popped up because it's on Pops. Because it's on. That was intentional, everybody. Absolutely. I, I like puns now. Uh, Noel, what, what is this show? Okay, so this is a the, uh, private eye sitcom uh, that was a web television series, uh, but it's an American-Swedish co-production, which is a phrase I never thought I would really utter. Well, uh, wasn't there, like, was Welcome to Sweden or something? Right. Was right, that a co-production was, or no? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, but that was on CW Seed. Mm-hmm. And then I don't I don't remember if that ever aired on the CW or not. <laughs> I think it did, but I legitimately don't remember. Um, so no, this is also it was co-created by um our beloved Peter Stromar, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who's fabulous and wonderful on any number of projects that you can think of. And so he plays a retired Swedish stuntman working in Los Angeles as an unlicensed private detective. And he ends up hooking up with a struggling Swedish DJ named <laughs> Axel. And they become a mis- mismatched buddy duo that solve crimes in Los Angeles that they get hired to do. And it's, it, I, I wanted to laugh. I like sort of like the randomness of the premise of two Swedes solving crimes in Los Angeles is just bizarre. But then, like, Stormar's character has been in los angeles for decades at this point so there's not like a culture class sort of issue and it's not the other fellow axel doesn't really seem like too too like weirded out by anything in particular so there's no culture class type of stuff so they try to populate with a little bit of weirdos like a uh the big detective agency firm is run by this very scary woman uh but it, it just never finds a groove or a rhythm that I really responded to. Um, like th- the idea that in the second episode, they have to prove that a woman is cheating on her blind husband and they end up like catching her, but they only take photographs and they mm-hmm. lay out the photographs in front of him, And he's just like, are these photographs? I can't see these. And it's just like, Oh, I understand what you guys are going for with this joke but you're calling it too much attention to this joke. So they actually have to record her saying sexual comments in regards to cleaning a carpet so that they have audio proof for him. Mm -hmm. 
and Kate's making like a weird face right now, and it's a it's understandably a weird face because it, it none of it like connects or like comes together in a way that feels really particularly funny. So I was I was kind of frustrated watching this. Um, Stormwar's character has an estranged daughter. He also has some sort of shady past connected to a movie that he did in like the 1980s or 1990s, and that he doesn't want to talk about. And but I'm sure it's just something really silly, but we'll find out what it is. Um, so Pop's burning these off. Um, there's like 10 episodes. They're being burned off um, two two a week, but they're only a half hour each. So it's a low investment if you're just kind of interested. But I didn't really laugh at any point in the hour that I have this uh, booted up. So I was I was kind of disappointed by it, um, considering I knew went in knowing nothing. Because, like you said, I didn't hear about this until I saw it in our rundown notes that this was something that was coming up. And I just went, oh, I'll watch it. And mostly I was just relieved it was a half hour <laughs> for each episode. I was just like, oh, no, this is going to be an hour. But it was not an hour. So not particularly funny, not particularly enjoyable. The, like, the most interesting thing about this show for me is the fact that Stormer was inspired by the fact that two of his real life friends, one who was ex-military and one who was ex-stuntman actually did become private investigators. <laughs> and I think that's really cool and interesting. It just didn't translate into a cool and interesting show. Well, that's the thing. And I listened to that premise and it sounds like a really fun and terrific setup for a show like Peter Stormare as a stunt guy who becomes a, de a detective. Yeah. That sounds like a kind of thing I would like. Yeah. Um, but then when you go into the, well, the, it's a blind client and they have to get proof. Like, did they know he was blind beforehand? Cause if yes, they're okay. just inept. Yeah. Okay. I expect maybe Axel to be inept like that, but then I expect Stormare to be like, like smack him across the back of his head and say, our client's blind, this won't work. Like, so that, as soon as they make, they both make that level of stupid mistake, I immediately don't care about them. Yeah, and like that episode is very much about how the fact that he's viewed as an incompetent anyway, but, and so it reinforces the thematic point of the episode, but it just makes you go, how, how does he still have a, business open yeah yeah indeed so, so yeah that that's um that's a shame that they weren't because like, like you said that sounds super fun but it's all in the execution it just underlines how hard it is to make a good show even with a good cast and a good idea um next up is comrade detective um on amazon have you heard about this one no, no, I hadn't. And I didn't carve out time to watch it, even though I was watching a lot of Amazon this week yeah. for other reasons. So tell me, what is Comrade Detective? Okay, so Comrade Detective, I want to say it's from just Gordon Levitt's uh, hit record. Okay. Uh, but I could be wrong on that about that. Gordon Levitt does do one of the voices in the show, um, and it's produced by Channing Tatum, who voices the lead. What it is is it's the premise is that it is a show that was created during like the 70s in like romania and has been since been restored and it was lost and has been restored and dubbed in english so so huh. they filmed the whole okay. thing in romania with romanian actors in romanian and then they after they finished filming all six episodes they cast the americans to the voice so like nick offerman is it's, it's about some it's about cops so nick offerman is the boss um Naturally. yeah channing tatum and justin gordon levitt are the two central partners um and so uh, Mansukis uh, voices one of like the the other team of detectives who's a jerk, you know. Like so, there's some very 
expected casting. Um, Jenny Slate was the secretary. Kim Basinger shows up as the American um, ambassador to Romania. Um, I think it's Romania in 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 at least this first episode. But um, it's a fun idea where it's looking at this as a propaganda show that's pro communism. So they, okay. you know, so it's it's full of a bunch of talk of like those. Uh, there's no corruption here, and uh, like you're you're acting like an American, which means you're being reckless and breaking all these very reasonable rules. And so there, there's a lot of fun commentary that way. But just on as a whole, for me, it just wasn't that interesting. Um, I could appreciate what they were doing, but it just didn't come together as much as I would have liked. Frankly, I kind of wanted to be able to hear the performances of the Romanian cast because they look like they're very good. The, the, the acting and stuff, they, they pitched the level of spoof and seriousness, I think well. Um, and, mm-hmm. but, but it's not quite at the level of something like, um, Oh my goodness. A documentary now where it's a period like filming something as if it was in a period and it's commenting on a genre. Um, there's, there's a lack of specificity that that has, um, in this. Yeah. So while it's fun, if it's not your exact like thing, this, this idea, this concept or genre, I don't know if it's going to be for you, but if you heard the premise is a setup and you think that sounds amazing. You will probably get a, get a kick out of it. Some of the, especially some of the voice casting um, is exactly what you would expect. And that adds to the fun. Um, I, I kind of just wanted to watch Joseph Gordon Levitt just act and not do a voice. Cause like some of the physicality and the things match up in a way that's almost eerie um, with how he would perform that character. Um, but then others don't match as well. Like Channing Tatum doesn't match as well for the 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 main detective whose first partner gets killed by a guy in a Reagan mask and he's the one who's gonna be he's like the he's the bad good cop bad cop like by the rules guy and brash one he's brash guy and I don't know that I associate his voice with that as much so like there was more discord for me between his voice and the the visuals and so it didn't match up as well and it kind of took me out of it um so like there's it's it's a fun idea um but you talked about being excited that 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 Swedish Dicks was uh half an hour the first episode of this was 45 minutes I was like no no even when you're setting up the premise and establishing everything like it still feels long um to me so I'm not gonna go back for more but it's another one of these perfectly fine and I see what people like it and I get the uh, the enjoyment but it's just not something I'm going to seek out. Sort of like with what Wet Hot American Summer, the 10 years later thing. I'm sure when I get to it, I'll have fun because I liked the other Wet Hot American Summer ones. But it's not interesting enough for me to put it above any of another number thing, any of a number of other things I need to watch because um, I, I kind of feel like I already know what I'm going to get. And I feel like I know what I'm going to get for the rest of Comrade Detective. So I don't really feel like I need to watch it since it's not high on my comedy list. Yeah, that makes sense. And like uh, my immediate question as you were describing this was whether or not I could listen to the Romanian language track for like two reasons. One, because I'd like to hear it like in the Romanian to your point about how they're pitching it and how the Romanian actors are conceptualizing the script, but also because it it weirdly erases their labor in some ways. And I'm not super comfortable with that. 
and I don't know quite how to feel about it beyond not feeling particularly comfortable with it if it's not available. Um, so I'd actually like want to. I'm going to watch this probably as soon as we get done with the podcast. Um, in part, just to see if the Romanian language track is somewhere available in the um, Amazon like options. Yeah. But also just because this sounds kind of interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I also like I, I worry about like the extent to which. It, does it feel particularly like one jokeish, or like you only watched one episode? Um, right? Yeah, or, no, I only watched yeah. the one. Um, yeah. it, and there's only six in the season, so if it's right. and your kind of thing, you can get through it pretty quickly. Um, uh, for, but at 45 minutes for the first episode, let's 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 slow the roll just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but what what I mean though is, um, it's not like it's hour long or the way it can be on some of these streaming shows an hour and 10 minutes long and there's eight to 13 i mean it's still six but um yeah i think the they establish a premise of the approach and every time they do these um jabs at america or like just it's, it's spoofing propaganda and propagandistic action films of the 70s and 80s from america just through this other lens and uh, that approach to like, isn't it crazy that this is how we made movies at that time? So bald facedly um, propagandistic. Uh, but of course, we still do that now as someone who just finished watching Iron Man again. <laughs> we really do that now. Um, so, so I think there's I don't know how many layers they're hitting at. I don't know how many layers they're going for. It could be there's a bunch of references to stuff that I'm just not getting because sure. I haven't seen the inspirations films for these. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's fine. You know, you'll, you might like it more than I do. I look forward to your thoughts. Um, but I absolutely agree about uh, a sense of erasure of the, the performance and the work of the Romanian cast because it was very frustrating to me when I saw like because of course when you search up the show and all the articles about it are going to say starring Channing Tatum and Jessica Gordon-Levitt and it's like yes they are in it and they voice the leads but it's there's also another like in, in IMDb it lists both as the the remaining cast and the American voice cast and they'll say like the character name and then they'll say voice um, or voice of and then they'll do but, but I just there's not enough of a awareness for me of the whole rest of of that cast sort of like we're talking about orphan black you know i have not enough people who give enough props to katherine alexandra who is the body double for tatiana maslany and how, what, what an important function and role she has and what that show pulls off you know um so i agree I, I hope that let me know if you can find the romanian voice uh track because if that is there that would be interesting for me to watch some of the episode i'd already seen but we should move on, though, <laughs> to our next episode. Um, Difficult People had its season three premiere. And what I think is most interesting about this, um, in these first three episodes, the much-hyped John Cho does not appear yet. He's going to be playing a love interest for Billy Eichner in this season. Um, but what I thought was interesting is the approach that this season is taking to current political events. Um, so it is set in our world, but it's like a skewed or maybe down the line version of our world where like ran, like there's Trump bucks uh, or something like that. And, and there's like a government policy of you can sign up to um, become a, cause of course uh, 
the mom of our female lead is a psychiatrist or a therapist, and um, she signs up to um, do gay conversion therapy treatment um, therapy so that she can get a parking pass. And Billy Eichner um, signs up to be gay converted so that he can get six thousand bucks, and that's a new program. And, and this, you know, so this, so there's different things like that that get thrown in, like um, NPR now their budget's been decimated, so now they film everything in Jupiter, Florida. Um, so the female lead's husband who works for NPR is, you know, having to commute to Florida where there is some sort of civil unrest and perhaps a revolution happening. So like, there's all these little things like that sort of in the fringes of the stories or heavily driving them, which is, you know, definitely a choice. Um, I think this, for me, this season so far, these first three episodes are fun and, and entertaining, but not as, um, directly, uh, successful or relatable or, um, laugh out loud funny as the previous seasons but it's very interesting to me because i was watching it considering it's coming out now um and obviously it was filmed after the election because of the changes at least i think it was um it's really interesting to for me to think of how i was feeling after trump got elected and the pretty much everybody involved in the creative part of this show this the writing and um and the performers are Probably, we're probably feeling very similar. Um, so to think of this as sort of like a hangover from that and like how that affected the approach and the tone of the show is very interesting to me. And it's very possible. I'm just putting my own text up there over top of what they intended, the creators intended, but that's what I'm seeing in it. Um, I will say there's a really funny subplot um, in, I, I want to say it's the second, it's the second episode, Strike Rat, all about <laughs> um, Julie Klausner, uh, her character getting um, cast in a Woody Allen tv show and uh, and 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 hating woody allen and not she's like oh i can't audition for woody allen but she really wants to see the sides the only way she can see the sides is if she is if she auditions so she goes through with the audition assuming she'll never get cast and then she does get cast and so then you're on the set of the woody allen show it's just like merciless it's just delightful as someone who also doesn't think people should be watching woody allen tv shows or giving him a bunch more money um i very much enjoyed that um but yeah, on the on the whole, I think the second season, I would say, is still the strongest, but I look forward to seeing what comes next. And I look forward to John Cho showing up because, come on, guys, if you're going to, you know, tout his uh, in- involvement in the season that much, and he's not in the, any of the first three, uh, so. <laughs> um, so my experience with the show is pretty limited. I think I watched most, if not all, of season one. I think I'm honest. I honestly can't remember. I know I watched like episodes of season one. Um, But my question becomes is like, have they always done this sort of like intense topicality? Because that wasn't like my experience. Okay, I figured as much. Okay, Um, so then that kind of makes sense of what you were talking about. But so are they going to like Patrick Ewing in the shower this? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think I think they're just like they've just said. I think because I think about how um, the creatives at Veep responded to the election, the fact that they were midway through filming, I think the second or the third episode mm-hmm. when like on election day um, and how they responded to to the election results or tried not to respond and how things snuck through anyways. Um, yeah. And then I look at this. Um, I, I think it's going to be something that <laughs> when we have some distance if we survive that long, uh, I, it's something that I really look forward to reexamining art 
made at that time and how yeah. it was affected. Uh, so that was, and the fact that the show just puts it on, out there on on its sleeve um, of that, just like like this awareness of the it's just because it's just in the background of their world they're you know they're not actively engaging with politics um of our actual world but they're they're also it's just like this is the world they live in now and so that ends up affecting things and and it's just an interesting approach to take and certainly a much more interesting one than pretending nothing happened in these characters worlds um so yeah. Just just think about it this way is that now between this, between Veep and the good fight, you have a really good think piece that you can pitch. That's true. And that now no one can steal because it's Kate's. TM. Uh, <laughs> TM, copyright TM. Um, it's all Kate's now. No one can take that idea. That you can write and discuss this sort of idea about a post-Trump television and particularly post-Trump television that addresses Trump in very direct or in Veep's case – not direct and noticeably not direct ways. Yeah, and how that um, is, is a change from from what had been happening previously, or just an excuse to you know reemphasize the exact same problems as before the good fight. Um, anyways, so let's move on to insecure, and mostly we want to talk about Hell Open because Sterling K. Brown and nobody warned us, and full swoon. Thoughts on insecure, Noel? Uh, Molly, if you're not going to date Sterling K. Brown, you don't deserve to date anyone. <laughs> Especially this Sterling K. Brown. It's not like he's playing an asshole. It's not, right. You know, no. like, uh, is, he, he better be coming back. This better be a Molly, you know, not just learns that maybe she was approaching dating wrong situation, yeah. but a, like, if, uh, come on, come on. Everybody loves Sterling K. Brown. He's amazing. And he can sing, which they found out at the TCA Awards. Did you see that? I didn't watch any of it. I heard about it and read about it, but I didn't watch anything. Yeah. I didn't hunt down anyone's like pirated feeds since <laughs> you're not supposed to post anything Reese Witherspoon. Well, I definitely did. So <laughs> I'm not above that. Um, yeah. I don't really have any other thoughts on these, these last two episodes other than it's been really strong and I've enjoyed what they've you know done so far. But uh, my main thing, my main takeaway is call back Sterling K Brown. Yeah. Well, and that's, I feel like the response that everyone's having now to him uh, is just like, Oh, we should get him on our show. He's awesome. And everyone from Supernatural goes, but we already knew that. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But no, the only other thing is like, Lawrence is just the worst. Yeah, uh, I liked him getting taken down a peg at the end of this yeah, episode. I did too. And I was just like, wow. And like I said, like when we talked about the premiere, I was just like, I don't, I only watched like a handful of season one. And I was just like, Lawrence seemed just kind of lost and like, not sure where his life was going, but now he just actively seems like the worst. And so I was just like, I'm appreciating the fact that you're making bad decisions and now kind of getting punished for them. Yeah. <laughs> and again, be, if you'd finished the season, he gets his stuff together right. only to, by the end of the season and it's all good only then to, to get cheated on um, by Issa. And then that leads into this stuff we're seeing here. And yeah, again, it ties in very nicely with what they were doing um, over on Carmichael show too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it was, it was, a, it's a 
very clear and well thought out arc for the character and i look forward to where yeah. he's going to go next um what i don't look forward to is more of the guest book because i've now watched three episodes because yeah. i caught up with last week's ones i agree with your sentiments about those first two and i also watched the third but what you didn't mention on the podcast last week noel is maybe you maybe i blocked it out because sure. wishful thinking but you didn't mention the voiceover and how terrible it is like nope like when I was editing over at Sound on Sight and then Pop Optic, one of the first things I had to tell writers and just kept reiterating over and over and over again is don't use the passive tense. It immediately distances the audience, distances your reader, and 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 sucks energy out of what you're writing. Why why would you include voiceovers that are all passive tense? This was happening. This this is where we were going. No, you don't need any of this voiceover. Just show them writing in the book. You don't need to... Oh, God. Okay. It's writing 101. Like, literally, if I know that that is a, not a great move to make in your, in your, you know, critical television kind of writing stuff with my no degree in writing... You gotta know that over at the the guest book. Uh, any thoughts on this? I didn't really notice, but I I will point out that it's a sort of a weird sort of tone thing. I guess is that I would imagine that any number of people write in the past tense just because they don't know any better. And if you're writing in a guest book, you might just end up writing in the past tense. Though I think from a like storytelling standpoint i agree with you in that you shouldn't be writing in the past tense for your characters even if you want some degree of verisimilitude to these people's positions but if they're all in the past tense then it really doesn't matter then you're making sort of a stylistic choice yeah it's, i don't care about the the characters within the show writing in the past tense that makes absolute sense i care about the guys who wrote the and ladies i assume who wrote the show writing in the past tense for their characters on behalf of their characters um i really enjoyed um garrett dillahunt of course because he's always hilarious and terrific when given comedy and um then he's also very scary when given not comedy i was about uh, to say he's he's scary when he's not given comedy <laughs> <laughs> you should always be given comedy because otherwise it's just it's either funny or scary and there's no in between <laughs> <laughs> it's fun when he gets to you yeah. know, flip-flop back and forth because because he can also justified. do that oh, yep justified, justified. Oh. We love you, Justified. Okay, <laughs> we're just gonna have a, a, a you know a, a thoughtful reflection on Justified. Um, no, to, as for the rest of this, like uh, I enjoy most of this cast very much from various things, um, and yet the guest stars, I think, are the the worst or least interesting part of this. And like you had said, the recurring cast is the most solid part of it. But with that conceit and the the framework of everybody writing stuff down whether it's a letter to their friend or in the guest book every every week like it's like that darn laugh track on news radio or not news radio um on sports night where it's just like you're ruining everything this if we could just cut out this part of it it would be a much better show um yeah and and stephanie we're showing up and being delightful and you know michaela watson watkins also being delightful and like just like that's not enough for me unfortunately to make up for the part of the show's approach that is just really frustrating so i do not think i will be checking back into froggy cabin um do you think you'll make time for this one or are you gonna let it kind of build up and maybe check out the ones people recommend or what do you think 
I think what will probably end up happening is I'll let it build up and then look for the guest cast for the, each episode and go, mm-hmm. I like that actor. I'll watch this episode. But, like, I completely forgotten to set a, like, season pass record for this. So mm-hmm. it subliminally, it feels like a conscious decision, a subconscious decision not to continue watching. So we'll see if I even remember to circle back to it. <laughs> well, one we both remember to circle back to was younger. Yes. 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 <laughs> we, we had fever pitch um, and we called it, right? We did. Yes. We called Josh and Kelsey, which was like, that's, we don't get significant points for that, but we also called them backtracking stuff with charles and liza i will say i did not see it coming that this was how they would do that right but even if okay i was talking about this with um someone on twitter and i refuse to accept that this woman would pitch a book to her ex-husband's publishing house (laughs) okay but here's the thing are they ex because she talks about taking a vacation from her marriage she didn't talk about getting divorced okay then it still doesn't, the point still remains. Like, she knows it's his publishing house. I think this is her way of reaching out, because that, that was bothering me, too. Um, I was like, she didn't seem like she was super spiteful, but because but, one of the first things she says is maybe this is something for empirical, which is her way of saying, I would like this to get to my ex, or who's maybe not taking my calls. You know, like, this was her way of reaching out to him with wh- what where she's at, and I assume they're going to be setting up a love triangle here. Which um, I side and rolled my eyes at. Yes. <laughs> but um, as a delaying tactic, I feel like it's a pretty legit one. And then he'll try to give his marriage another go. And then that'll give it, get us at least to the end of the season. Um, but Not that there's much of a season left. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, it's been renewed for next year. So that'll yeah. give us next season then. But um, but as, as a way, as long as they address that this was very much a conscious choice on her part. Um, right. I think it's fine. Uh, the thing I will say is uh, I needed, I guess I didn't need, but I think it's a very distinct choice to not have any discussion of how completely inappropriate <laughs> Charles' They're remarks were. Never going to talk about it, Kate. Never going to talk about it. Well, I expected Charles to say something. I'm sorry, that was completely inappropriate. And then her to say something where they could like be like, yeah, okay, but we both know that there's been like, I like that they didn't pretend that they there hasn't been a like a flirtation going on for years of watching, which I maybe months of show. I don't know uh, the timeline, but I like that they didn't pretend that this was out of nowhere. But I also was raising a significant skeptical eyebrow and um, judgy look, (laughs) sending a judgy look to Charles for not at least acknowledging the HR disaster of his comment. Yeah, I don't I don't I feel like that's not going to happen unless it's going to become a plot point in which like after things maybe heat up a little bit and they're just and he comes to her he comes to Eliza with a disclaimer waiver <laughs> or Diana finds out or something or and, Diana finds you know out, right and yeah but I feel like they're probably sitting on it for that reason but I mean he he ends a phone call with saying I don't regret doing any of this so mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're not going to get discussion about the power dynamics here. no that had to be that had to be something that happened in their very first interaction that was yeah. a real one <laughs> um, yeah. after uh you know, after the end of last episode or it was never going to happen and it didn't so it's so it's not uh do you have any thoughts well let's get Kelsey and josh out of the way we don't care right do we need to get well i mean we need to get josh out of the way just because i don't know why he's on this show right now well, i'm saying you this haven't again seen the rest of the show right but <laughs> I, and i was about to say I, I i'm saying this is someone who's basically watched committedly seven episodes of the show 
and I don't know why he's still here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't. Like, he's just sort of floating around going like, oh, are you guys going out to the cabin with the penises in it? Can I come? And she's like, but why do you want to? And why are you still here? <laughs> okay. What is, what is the role you're playing right now? <laughs> he's another friend. Why is Redhead Friend on the show? I, I don't have an answer to that beyond the fact that she's like supporting cast person. But I get from like the general vibe of the show, like that Kelsey and Josh weren't like super close. No. So why is he here? <laughs> he's here to be. He's here to be her friend because he's here because they wanted to keep him on the show. That's why he's here. Yeah. Um, but narratively, why is he here? <laughs> to be another friend, or to to know stuff that other people don't know, so that you can have comedic situations and to have drama, for you know between uh, Liza and Kelsey, theoretically down the line. Though I am assuming they're going to subvert that and not have it actually be a drama. But we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, but we don't care about them as a couple. No, because it's it's silly and boring. And yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's silly and boring. Yeah, I do like Lauren though. I, I very much enjoy her. Um, I also very much enjoy that they tip. They go up to the ayahuasca thing and then Josh <laughs> throws in the lake. Tell me he got some points for you when he threw it in the lake. Yeah, no, he he very much did. Yeah. He very much did. So. Okay, then let's talk about the Liza and Charles of it all. Any other thoughts on how they handled the coming off of the last week's episode? Were you satisfied with this episode? Uh, I feel like it wasn't at that level, but it was still fun. What did you think? Yeah, no, it was perfectly fine. I mean, I, I was very angry at that poor innocent janitor. <laughs> and I, But I appreciated also just his, like, disgust at the cupcake on the floor and just like why am i picking up a cupcake when you guys are right here what is wrong with the two of you why am i picking up this cupcake and why is the, why did you waste a cupcake so all of that i enjoyed but yeah i mean it was fine but i it 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 very much was like driven by needing to get his estranged let's just say estranged mm -hmm. um wife uh into the picture um yeah. literally have, has have, has she been like mentioned before um we've definitely seen the kids before and liza's okay. great with the kids and they like her of course um, i was about and, to say of course because who could not like sudden foster um and well, um Lorelai gilmore apparently apparently <laughs> but um anyways um i don't think we've met her or seen her before i think this was a surprise that's what i'm remembering um definitely there's been some mentions of her of of his like have being divorced or having an estranged wife um we've definitely obviously charles has you know had other romantic interests on the show in the past so it's not like a new thing of oh he's unavailable that's not something that's new but um yeah, it's mostly been in very much in passing, and um, so I think th th this feels like a smart card for them to play, considering they have a whole other season, if they want to continue delaying them getting together. And you, you had to be right there with Maggie, right, this week? Yeah. <laughs> Maggie's so fed up with this, but that was the other thing that I was just like, why are we spending time with Josh and Kelsey when we could be spending time with Maggie making toast? Yes. That seems like a more productive use of our time. Well, and you've just discussed <laughs> making toast, which segues us right into Great British Baking Show. After this somewhat uh, disappointing for us season, gosh darn it, if I didn't love this finale anyways and finding myself getting super choked up. 
every time right. yeah no I, I kind of felt the same way like the there was a little bit of discussion among my twitter friends about the, how like that last shot the of candace discussing the show mm-hmm. um was just it meant an inadvertent amount of emotion because of how she's talking about it um how much it meant to her and just the idea of the show circulating in the brain and what all this means in light of the transition to channel four. And it just, it kind of struck a really weird chord and a really surprising chord. I think one that I wouldn't have struck if it had stayed on the Beeb and was going to continue like season eight on BBC with everyone involved. And so it was just, it was really, it, it, it was, it was affecting. And I, I, I was really happy with like the three finalists that were there. Um, um, and I, I, I generally, genuinely felt like either of them, any of them could have won, but it was just, it, it was a really just kind of weirdly tough thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, considering like, again, as I've always reiterated since we started talking about it last year is very much Johnny come lately to this show and it was just like, but, but you were so good to me mm-hmm. and so relaxing. And it was, it was a really nice way to, it was a really nice thing to watch over the summer. And I really appreciated it for that, but I appreciated it for all the things that it wasn't, which is American reality competition television. And now it's going to be a show in which it's advertised by singing desserts that get eaten and with a host that doesn't eat sugar yeah okay and with Um, judges that hate each other yeah (laughs) and can't at least get over it for the filming yeah so yeah so it's kind of like a thing but i mean i i liked i liked the finale i think more than pretty much everything else i like the fact that they're just like you all know what a victoria sandwich is just make one there's no recipe there's no recipe just make one yeah and yeah and then the meringue crowns were a little underwhelming but i mean i liked the idea Mm -hmm. and then just as you tweeted just everyone make 48 things in five hours which is great and amazing so including those ridiculous chocolate cakes which looked amazing right yeah. You had to know that Candace was going to win as soon as she said, I'm making the sausage rolls and they're going to have crackling. As soon as someone says crackling, you know, they're winning that challenge. Um, but no, it was, it was really, again, it was really affecting. And for me, because it was a very similar, um, uh, emotional payoff as we got in season six with Nadia, it was the exact same sentiment from our winner, but because she's such a different personality, the Nadia had landed for me in a different way. So when she sure. says, I'm good enough, I guess I'm good enough. And you see how insecure and how how much of this confidence has been a facade for her this whole time. And when it really sinks in to her. Um, and I think that's incredibly relatable. I mean, who hasn't felt that way before? Um, and everybody assumes you're fine and you've got this and you're so confident. Like Jane had a, <laughs> Jane has had a complex about Candace all season long. And it was, it was sort of hilarious to watch when she's like laughing a little too high, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's great, <laughs> you know, because it's, again, it's the same insecurity. Um, and, and so when our like cool and collected shooting out zingers trying to get her own show kind of contestant then when you see through that to more like the intensity of the emotion cracks through that exterior and you can see 
what she's feeling in that moment it's very very affecting um yeah and i think that the um again just it's always fun to see everybody back again you get a peek in at their families um somebody else said this on twitter i hadn't realized um so i'm copying from them but i concur i hadn't realized that we hadn't seen their families until we did see their families and i was like oh yeah there's been absolutely no b-roll footage of anyone like i i pointed this out i pointed this out as well to my group i was just like we saw Ruby's dorm room like 80 times. <laughs> we never went home to anyone for B-roll stuff after like the second week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, this is really weird. And I don't know why we, did, we didn't go visit any of these people in their homes to find out their weird hobbies of they like to garden and also go for jogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like you have to return yeah. to NPR voice for that one. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't get any of that. Yeah. And that's interesting thinking of it in the perspective of losing the show. And when, because when I wrote my article last summer about Great British Baking Show or Great British Bake Off and how much I love it, um, I talked about some of the things it does right that other shows do wrong. And a big part of that is the way that they film, which is instead of getting everybody together and knocking this out in a couple of weeks, they each episode happens on the weekend and they have a full week off in between and so obviously what that lets them do is it lets them rest and lets them recover lets them emotionally recover and recharge it lets them practice their bakes so they can do better more interesting more complicated bakes each week but what it also does is it also increases their personal commitment to the show because it's something they've been doing for more of their life it's a bigger part of it's not like this whirlwind few weeks it's every week you come back and you hang out with your buddies in the tent again and you you know like and and for for an activity like making that is so isolated um getting to do something like that that you're so passionate about you care so much about with other people that's something that most of them will probably never get again um and so when you stretch that out and it takes place over 12 weeks instead of 12 days or 24 days like most shows like every other time they've tried to make this show <laughs> they've done no um it it makes the the finale land all the more with the with the bakers and therefore by extension with us too so um yeah it was uh we're gonna miss it we're gonna miss having the real great british baking show and seriously if you're at all invested in the train crash or the car crash that is this new version listeners do some googling because there's already it's like you know patisserie chef kiss i didn't even know about the judging thing so i'm gonna have to look that up um because i i didn't hear about that until you mentioned it i just heard about the sugar thing and just went it's a terrible idea why would you do that why would you hire uh, a presenter who won't eat sugar i mean come on and they don't want to talk to the contestants ever it's like yeah that's right you know what because Mel and Sue are amazing and we all knew that but you didn't BBC not BBC sorry um what's the production company love love, love, produ- love productions yeah yeah anyways Great. I look forward to Mary Bake Mary Berry's new baking show that she's doing yeah it's gonna be fabulous yeah and all the Blake all the Blake Sevens Blazers will be back in full force <laughs> <laughs> and at full power. Uh, well, what won your week in comedy and reality this week? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think I'll give it to Insecure and Hella Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a good episode. Plus, you know, Sterling Brown. Not, um, not, not Carmichael Show. 
Well, no, because we're going to discuss Carmichael's show at the end. Yeah, but um, it still counts as something you watched this week that was a comedy. Yes, but I mean, I feel like we're just going to discuss it for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, so if I can pick Carmichael's show, I'll pick Carmichael's show then. Um, but for reasons that we'll get into at the end of the podcast. Um, but what about you? Um, well, Rick and Morty was really good uh, as well. It was really funny, crazy, and ridiculous. Rick got turned into a pickle. It was a whole thing. I saw a um, picture of it. It looked vaguely like a, a Titan from Attack on Titan, but in pickle form. Yeah, that, that <laughs> seems about right. It, made of dead rat parts. It's a whole thing. Um, I did really enjoy the baking show finale. It's the end of Carmichael's show. See, like, I like to pick, if I'm not going to have another opportunity to praise something, and I really like that episode, I like to pick that one. So I'm not going to do Insecure because there will be a more Insecures that I will really like. But end of Carmichael show, end of Great British Baking show, like that's a tough call. I, you gave it to some love to Carmichael show. We're gonna give a whole like half hour of love to Carmichael show. I will give some love here to the Great British Baking show or Great British Bake Off and the final. And congratulations, Candace. So uh, I noticed there were so so many fewer like zingers to the camera in these last couple episodes. Yeah, when... she, she dialed it back a lot, and everyone. Went... <laughs> I wonder if that's because you feel really safe, Candace. Yeah, <laughs> some some shit got real is what happened, and she had to focus on her baking. Uh, anyways, okay, let's listen to some more music, and we'll come back with our weekend drama and genre. This week in genre and drama, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, very little bit about Orphan Black. Uh, I caught up on season five, but this week's episode was One Fettered Slave. And then I'll talk a bit about Game of Thrones, The Spoils of War. And I did catch up with The Sinner. So I watched episodes one and two. I'll talk a little bit about that. But then we'll both talk about Winona Earp from Evermind, Nevermind, then Claws, Ambrosia, and we'll round things out with the bold type, the breast issue. So first up is Orphan Black. I just wanted to mention, because of course, as we record this, the series finale is tomorrow um i'll be getting some fellow orphan black viewers on uh next week to talk about this this one um but i did want to mention that i had caught up with like i had only seen the first couple episodes of the season so i, I binged the rest uh, and i was very happy i gotta say the the decisions they've made in this last season while certain characters that we all love were benched they were very wise decisions for a last season they they got a lot. They tied back in loose threads um, in a way that worked. They made sure that we weren't so in love with certain characters that we had very thinly and vaguely plotted arcs. They made sure that they wrapped up things that needed to be wrapped up and gave emotional payoffs as appropriate. Um, so I think they've really made very smart 
plotting and structure decisions in season five. And I'm looking forward to the finale and to a lengthy chat about Orphan Black next week. Uh, For Game of Thrones, we had uh, a lot of really intense stuff go down. Now, Noel, you still have not seen any Game of Thrones from certainly from this season. Not I haven't watched the show at all since season one, like at all. Like I've barely seen clips like this week was the first time I've seen actual clips of the show since it started, basically. Well, because I had you check out um, from yeah. Late Night with uh, Seth Meyers. He, they did Game of Jones for the second time, where, where Leslie Jones and Seth Meyers watch an episode, and they film their reactions and cut it down to like 10 minutes. Um, so I thought it was hilarious. What did you think of Game of Jones? It's Leslie Jones. It's, it's funny, even without like any context, because she's <laughs> she's just a dynamo. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, really funny. I enjoyed her very um, legitimate excitement reaction um, to ha- seeing the actor who plays um, Varys. Varys, thank you. Uh, come in and like hang out and like be like, I haven't seen this episode like in completion either. And his kind of like his steady like engagement with the episode, especially towards the end where he's seeing all this dragon stuff, presumably for the first time. Um, but no, it was really, really funny. I enjoyed like a lot of her comments, particularly I think my favorite one was, when did he have time to get training on that dragon gun? Um, <laughs> Which would which is delicious and wonderful. Um, but yeah, so I, I enjoyed that without necessarily having a great deal of context. My friend Danielle, like last week, made me watch um, Seth invites um, Jon Snow to dinner, mm-hmm. um, which was very very funny. I enjoyed that a great deal. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was it was perfectly fine without very much context, which speaks to and i also told this to my friend danielle who did like a big catch-up um over the past week of like everything you're saying to me is stuff that i feel like i understand without having seen the show in six years which seems like a problem (laughs) to me that you can say all this stuff to me about basically the starks and circe and i go that all tracks and i feel like i haven't missed anything (laughs) well because that seems wrong (laughs) it's such archetypal writing that like you get it you get the gist um yeah yeah. and it's very it's it's very familiar for any any fan of of high fantasy or of of genre pretty much anything yeah it's not out of left field and it just reinforces my opinion that i don't need to watch it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you you might not. Clearly, you know, you're not having trouble following the discussion. Um, yeah. And that's definitely how I've been with several very popular shows, too. So I know exactly what you're talking about. With anyway, that. please tell me as someone who has watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that this was a really terrific episode. Um, it, yes, it helps that it has things that have been literally seven years or seven seasons in the making, like Arya getting home, you know, which is the first time she's been home since early in season one. Um, That worked really well. We got this awesome scene of Arya. um, She wants to be trained by Brienne because Brienne's a badass. And Brienne is all like, "Uh, I'll go get like somebody else to help you. And she's like, no, you're going to, you're going to help me. And you're going to train me. And and then, like, she would have killed her. She would have killed Brienne if they were actually fighting for realsies because, in theory, Brienne probably would have fought differently. But um, because she doesn't know to, like, <laughs> expect a dagger at her neck, you know? And so watching Arya fight and, and fence and duel in this it was so 
empowering and so satisfying to see and really highlights how much they should have had her doing more of this when she was theoretically learning it <laughs> we like all only just ever saw her with a mop um she learned her fencing um from Syria Farrell in season one uh the the who, who is still alive and will return at the end to save everyone you know. which would be lovely uh we, yeah. ne- we never saw a body uh, exactly <laughs> so so seeing that part was it just it was such a seeing that fighting style again which is the first time we've really seen her fully embrace that fighting style or i should say the stunt coordinators since then in a flashy way at least at least that's my read of it uh was a real pang of like of nostalgia for the early part run of the show um but it also then highlighted what she learned from serial what she learned from the house of of black and white um and some of this other stuff that she's picked up along the way from the hound you know um and it it highlighted her whole journey in this really tight coordinate you know, very well fight coordinated or constructed scene and of course brienne is amazing so watching her react and like the the mutual understanding between the two women was was amazing it was really great to see that um and then of course watching everybody else react like sounds is up there going like what the f-? i guess she wasn't kidding when she talked about having a list of people she was gonna kill and cersei's on it and most of them are already dead and i was like ha ha and she was like yeah haha ha. yeah that's i was kidding um totally uh so it was like watching different people react was also fabulous but um we got uh you know <laughs> we got Sansa and Arya first having a really awkward reunion and then by the end of it like warming up enough that they can have a more genuine hug at the end and then Sansa's like by the way Bra- uh, Bran's here he's he's broken <laughs> and so having that interaction as well it just was very um very, it marked how far these characters have come um and the notion that likely they'll never go back to anywhere near who they were before um there was enough of a sense of 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 recognition between them that i thought that worked they still felt like themselves having been on these disparate journeys so that was all all the stuff that they did up at winterfell was really satisfying then we got much better stuff for danny and john uh because they weren't posturing as much as their king and queen of their people they got to just kind of be people and that was more interesting uh shout out to friend of the show emma frazier who noted that danny had a row of fur and her costuming hmm they call out shout out to the theory that they're gonna have danny and john get married just saying anyways um the the cave paintings was an interesting way to go we'll see what happens with that and but the big thing everybody's talking about is the uh insane insane battle we got between um the the dothraki horde and drogon with daenerys on him on his back and then the the lannisters um the lannisters got all the gold they owe in so that's all safe but all the food got destroyed and winter is coming and winter's already there as was well known and that was basically the food store for half of the continent so that we'll we'll see what happens with that but what i thought was so fabulous about it aside from the fact that it was a satisfying action set piece um was that it called back to conversations that the show had had even back in season one in season one there's a um like a a when robert is still alive in the king there's a, a discussion of you know around his council table of this isn't like only a fool would try to meet the dothraki on an open plane 
you just get slaughtered and that's what happens here six years later six seasons later um so that was really neat to finally see this is and when jamie's like we can we can hold them it's like no no you can't you don't know anything about this style of fighting and they're so much faster than you that in your heavy metal armor that's great against the other people you usually fight but against the dothraki you're gonna die and when you're wearing heavy metal armor and they have a dragon that also is not going to help you. Um, so, and that also ties in, then, of course, with Jamie and the Mad, his experience with the Mad King. The reason he killed the Mad King was because the Mad King was trying to was going to blow everybody up, burn them all, burn them all, and then he's surrounded by this dragon and watching everybody around him burn. Of course, the callback to his decision to kill King Eris to save the realm because otherwise everyone was going to burn. Um, and so then to then have him be the one in charge of the troops when the the dragon returns, I mean, when we actually get the dragon as opposed to a king who's just obsessed with dragons, like the Mad King was, um, it was very satisfying on a thematic level, on a character level. Uh, and that's just something that is, you know, if you want to engage with the show on that level, which you know I do know, which is why I've been monologuing for like five minutes now about it, um, it's really satisfying and really interesting and, and, and lets you sit and really think about the different characters and the journeys they've been on and if you just want to go ooh, sweet action set piece and oh shit that dragon <laughs> we've been waiting and it was awesome like then it works on that level too so i thought this was a really terrific episode um because you get to do payoff but also because they handle the things that were building blocks as well they handled those in a really intelligent manner so uh yeah the last thing i will mention is that they found time <laughs> for Danny to raise a curious eyebrow at Miss um, Sande when she talked about Grey Worm. Oh, he better come back. And she's like, wait, did something happen between you guys? I want details. Girl talk. Uh, but she does it just like with the cock of a head and a slight eyebrow. And I was like, you know Danny's getting those details later. And I love that they found the little, little moment for that amidst all the pomposity of, of her court and everything, at least with um, in relation to their guests from the north. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to enjoy in this week's Game of Thrones. It sounds like it. Uh, <laughs> but and you're like now i'm all caught up <laughs> right no now i'm all caught up and there were dragons how many or does she still have like a full complement of dragons or does she only have that one left no she has all three okay um and this is the first so the first time she she's brought any of her dragons into battle not with ships and um or at least on, in westeros and okay. um they did have the scorpion, right? The like the ballista kind of thing. Um, and Bronn was was the guy who was who was like using that and and steer aiming it and everything. And he he does hit the dragon, looking like a total badass when he does it. By the way, might I add? Um, but foolish foolish Jamie decides he's gonna charge at Danny. And like I get the impulse, like that's what you need to do theoretically. But Drogon, you just got a little nick in his shoulder. He's still a dragon. It's just because he's not flying doesn't mean he's not going to burn your ass. So, um, yeah. So, so he's got a spear kind of wedged into his, his shoulder, sort of like his wing joint. Um, and he was not flying when we last saw him. But, you know, still breathing dragon. fire at the person who came to charge at his mommy. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a dragon. It's one giant spear, guys. It's just one. You're going to need a few more. <laughs> gonna uh, need, yeah. Yeah. You, you, if you like maybe through the eye with that or like right. into the throat. 
Yeah, but those are all really those are all really high difficulty checks to clear. Yeah, they are. And you need a, you need mean, a natural twenty on that. Yeah, I feel like that's all you need. And I mean, even then, like, eh, but yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was definitely like thinking about saving throws while I was watching this. Like, I de- <laughs> like when I watch these kind of fantasy things, I'm always like, at the very end, when Bron tackles him off of in just in time, they go into the water. But of course, they're you know, Jay- Bron is in leather armor, but Jamie's in metal, so he's just gonna drown unless right. somebody saves him, um, which will happen at the start of the next episode. But anyway, so I was absolutely thinking, oh, Bron made his reflex save. Woo! Woo! <laughs> main character gets to main character again. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go on to the center very briefly. Um, I watched the first two episodes. You are absolutely right about everything you said. In the second episode, you'll be excited to hear that they've added bird shtick. To the oh, detective's fuck. plant shtick. Oh. Uh, yeah. Wasn't the plant shtick, like, super, super heavy-handed? Oh, and they continue it in the second episode. Like, uh, he, when he's talking with his estranged wife at their house, a bird smacks into their glass door. He's like, oh, we need to get the reflective <laughs> things. And then he goes over and he picks up the bird. Come back. Come back. You can do it come back and then like the i think the bird flies away it's like, almost like the trees and the plants are some sort of symbol oh for jessica beale's character do you think that's what they're trying to go for i don't know what could it be <laughs> Noel? what could it be it's just so bad it's really bad and and again I, like when you were describing it i don't think i gave enough credence to what you were saying about the jessica beale stuff because i do think the jessica beale stuff is actually very good it is yeah it's just the pullman stuff is so so bad um yeah. that it really distracts but um if i could just watch the just her stuff with it it, it would be much more interesting it'd be a, yeah. it would seriously raise the overall average grade for the show because I, I did think her stuff was very good even if they i mean like this is what eight i want to say eight yeah That's, no wait it might be six it's might, six or eight but okay. yeah it's it's very very short at the at the end of the first episode, they are where we were at the end of the second episode. At the end of the second episode, they are where we were at the end of the first episode, where it's like, okay, well, she was triggered by this song. She gave a very distinct a- attack pattern. Um, he, the detective, plays the song for her, trying uh-huh. to trigger, get her to talk, and then she attacks him and attacks him in exactly the same way with her fists, and he's got bruises okay. and the same things. They're like, oh, she was triggered by this song, and she doesn't even realize she's doing it. Like, It's like, yeah. I, I like how you say we, even though that was totally you after watching the first episode and me not having made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel, I feel like that, like, come on, like the way that they... Dude, I, I feel like you were safely in the ballpark, Noel. I feel like that you were right there with me on that one. But anyway, so it was better than I was expecting. Um, and I'm more interested in the in, in Beal than I would have expected. We'll see if yeah. I... If I Like, this is going to be the first thing that I don't make time for. But yeah. I will still keep it on the docket for now, I think. Yeah, and I need to remember to set like a season pass for it because I was I was really hesitant about like even setting it for the first episode after not even before I haven't watched the first episode. So I didn't mm-hmm. record the second episode, uh, which is also like the other reason I didn't watch it was is like I just didn't have time or wanting to devote the emotional bandwidth for it this week. Yeah. So I was just like, nah, Kate's going to watch it, I think. So we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, I am going to like make time for it based on like if you had been like. The second episode's terrible, Noel. You don't need to do it. I would have mm-hmm. just dropped it. But now I will, like, make time for it. But I do agree that as even based on, like, your discussion of this second episode, uh, 
in no small part because of the fact that now he's in tune with the birds. Um, his nature <laughs> checks are just super high, y'all. Well, um, we didn't know his past life he was a druid, so. Oh, well, that makes total sense. Yeah. All right. There that explains go. so many things, including his, like, the beard. <laughs> the beard and getting stepped on him. I, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah, there's know. more with that, and I just don't. I don't care. Yeah, Give Catherine Irby better things to do, everyone, than just yeah. show up for one scene as the ex-wife or two scenes, whatever. She deserves so much better than that. Is yeah. she is she the ex-wife? She's the well, oh. estranged wife. Estranged wife. Yeah, yes. she deserves a lot better than to be sucked in that role. She should be the detective, huh? Hmm. Huh. <laughs> if only there were a show <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. Let's move on to our next episode. That's Winona Earp, Forever Mine, Nevermind, and um, Waverly. Not cool. Not cool. However, show, very cool. Uh, With that twist about Rosita, I did not see it coming at all. What did you you think about that? Well, I mean, you know what I thought about it. I texted you, like, (laughs) and went, they killed Rosita, Kate. (laughs) <laughs> and then it was just like, oh no, they didn't. Never mind. Oh, she's a, she, she she's a revered, revenant. revenant. Yeah. Uh, okay. I did not see that coming. I'm glad she's not dead though. <laughs> I was, even though she is kind of, I don't know quite how that works. Yeah. But um, she's not dead, so I'm I'm okay with it and happy about that. Um, yeah, I I did not see that coming, and I'm really glad that she's going to remain on the show. I like the energy that she's sort of bringing, to, the dynamics that she offers up. Mm-hmm. to the various scene partners and it explains a lot about subtextually um now a lot about why she was wanting to but also really nervous mm-hmm. about throwing a baby shower for winona <laughs> maybe <laughs> if she likes me she won't shoot me in the head with the pistol but i'm nervous that she's going to shoot me in the head with the pistol despite the nachos <laughs> <laughs> So I appreciated how all of that was sort of unspooling mm-hmm. um, in the background a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, I, I felt really bad about Waverly and her behavior here. And a lot of this, like, I'm struggling with a lot of, like, the emotional beats for this in a lot of ways in that I'm like, I understand why you're upset, Waverly. I do. I really do. Because some of this isn't just being upset at Nicole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I feel like there's just a lot of ways that they're mainly through like, particularly in this episode, through too much alcohol and being in a stew of hot water. This is my prejudice against spas and like hot springs and just sitting there and Mm -hmm. souping. Um, (laughs) In them is like a lot of it feels weirdly motivated and not motivated enough in a lot of ways for me. and more so like avoidance type stuff that she's not wanting to deal with a lot of this and she's getting she's lashing out at other people and i get it but it's just it feels like so many plates spinning right now that i'm struggling to that everything's sort of mid-level when i want it to be a much higher level for me anyway and that's where i was kind of struggling with i was just like i like this conversation with rosita i like all the ideas that are happening with this but I feel like I'm getting short shrifted in the execution a little bit. Okay. And so while I like it and uh, I'm enjoying the show overall still the season, even though I feel like we really, and we, we can talk about the stuff that happened in Winona's house and how that should have been just infinitely creepier. <laughs> um, that I, 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 I'm like sort of, I, I get like a, 
finger hold into the emotional stakes when I want a much deeper hold, basically. And yeah. that's kind of where I am. Um, so how are you feeling about it then? Are you excited about Rosita? How are you feeling about the Waverly um, stuff beyond the not cool Waverly Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like it just uh, highlights that I, I like that they're bringing more nuance to the revenants, which it seemed yeah. like they were going to be doing when we found out that the potential baby daddy um, could be a revenant and maybe also a nice guy. But then we're like, oh, no, he's really horrible, creepy and jerk alive again. Um, so that'll be interesting. So uh, with, with adding more nuance to Bobo, at least who he used to be. And, and now with Rosita, clearly they, they're going the angel route with demons as opposed to the Buffy route with demons. Um, and that is a better way to do it. Um, however, it just highlights for me that they're, I think they're headed towards instead of you have to lift the curse. It's no, let's do it. Instead of saying, Oh, somebody decided you have to kill this number of people in a certain time or else it will continue in perpetuity instead of like listening to that rule and assuming that 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 is true they're just going to do something else and lift the curse overall like unrevenant the revenants that kind of a thing so it's not yeah the choice isn't kill the revenants or kill or the erp it's team up to find a a better answer uh, which will undoubtedly lead to them raising that demon they've been talking about all season that's where we're headed for season three season three uh cludy yes um, anyway, so that that kind of highlighted that part for me. Um, I like the uh, idea for me of Waverly. Well, I don't like the idea of Waverly making lashing out, making bad decisions. But for me, the stuff with Rosita that we got was um, I liked their conversation, I liked their their budding friendship. Um, the go them crossing a line with that feels to me much more like Waverly subconsciously trying to blow up her life. Yeah. And push away those who care about her, um, which because she like yes she has a right to be mad at Nicole, not that much though, right? And so yeah. that speaks to something larger, and hopefully that's something the show will address. I absolutely agree with you though that we're I'm having to do too much work reading between the lines on this stuff because like there's enough background in the character for us to be able to do that and for it to work and make sense. But I think the show shouldn't rely on us so much to do that work for them i will say the dinner stuff the stuff with um doc and winona um first of all winona lady you still got to tell doc that he might not be the dad get off your ass about that um i did appreciate the little eyebrow raise they gave him when they were talking about the the kid of course being his um but the rest of that wasn't nearly good enough (laughs) wasn't nearly as good as it could have or should have been no, it, it felt re- super, super real spinny. And I could never get a latch, full latch onto like the argument beyond the fact we're not really clear on what our relationship status is. And that felt like the brunt of this. And mm-hmm. I just went, guys, it's just, it's a little bit of communication. That's all that's necessary here. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's difficult for both of you, but there's bad cheese stuff. You don't have anything else to discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also feel like Winona's like asking you to give up not aging like it's nothing. It's like, yeah. that is not nothing. That's a huge ask. And you are not yeah. being respectful of the level of ask that that is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. And I mean, I understand like the painting is aggravating both of their conditions, um, which, again, is me sort of reading that they're like getting worked up because of the painting and mm-hmm. like mojo and everything we had to do too much work on that too very poorly executed like c plot there yeah and also like it's a creepy painting followed up by a creepy demon doll 
I don't understand why that wasn't much, much more involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the episode started and, and Doc just walks into an old-timey looking store to buy a painting, I guess? Why? Or, and they like, get to get whiskey? Or, like, yeah. why is there whiskey behind the bar and also art? You should not have both. Doesn't he own a bar? Why is he drinking whiskey at an art thing in an old-timey and the guy looks old-timey and oh this is set in the present what yeah 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 there's just too much work yeah happening in this episode which is really frustrating for me yeah so it's not frustrating for me even though it should be right now is claws because i'm back back on i'm back on board so i'm so hard back on board um the they managed to come back around which is like i give them serious credit for because i didn't think that would happen but i'm back on board with the roller stuff even and um this episode was way too much of a part one of two for me the specific episode there's takes them way too long to connect the dots and for you know to finally get ambrosia salad out loud and god that takes forever yeah it takes so long and i got so angry (laughs) but i do think overall the the pacing decisions the plotting decisions the way they've balanced the characters and who they've brought more into the fore and who they've let sink back a bit has worked really really well for example we've been seeing a lot less uncle daddy haven't we and it's we a have. much better thing. <laughs> it is. It's such a better thing when you focus on this crew and how they're navigating their lives in relation to Uncle Daddy is more of a su- recurring supporting character as opposed to a regular threat that they have to deal with in some fashion every mm-hmm. week. And it's much better when he's not around every week or when he's just hanging out in the strip club, counting money and doing coke and accidentally being involved in the killing of the Dixie Mafia head played by Michael Emerson in <laughs> the best tie-dye t-shirt and wig ever. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, it's all much better when that's like to the side. And it speaks to the fact that all the roller stuff is working better, that he's sort of his own entity of motivations and not really bizarre psychotic just vaguely psychotic but motivated enough in weird sort of ptsd kind of ways that it all kind of works and fits together and his behavior feels motivatedly erratic as opposed to just coked up erratic yeah whatever the plot needs erratic Right. And this is much more interesting and much more like threatening in a lot of ways. So I really like with you, like even if I'm still sort of like, all right, well, it's been four episodes. I'm over the fact that Roller survived that somehow. Mm-hmm. But now that we're like having a chase in an abandoned amusement park, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> um, so, no, I'm I'm very much like excited about this. I'm I'm really, ex- even if it hasn't necessarily had a lot of time, Judy Reyes sells the oh, shit. Oh, broke like, my heart. Right? And it's just like, this has been something that's had like two scenes, maybe yeah. three. Yeah. And it's just like, Judy Reyes is such a pro mm-hmm. that she's just like, I'm going to make you care about this with nothing really. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, this is so good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She uh she nails it. And literally, we've gotten two scenes with the cop before this episode. Yeah, that's maybe including the scene in this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, it cuz yeah. Yeah, it's it's been 
really really well it's just it's really just in this episode and and you can see that also just in the way that she plays uh it's quiet what quiet Anne, quiet something yeah quiet Anne, i think yeah um the way she plays her character with just that little she's just been more glowy in the last few episodes and, and she's doesn't she gets no dialogue but yeah you you can you could feel that shift in her so that when she starts does start talking in this episode you buy it you buy yeah. it so strong um yeah it just it's really they they've done a terrific job with that subplot yeah they have and i think the choice to have carrie preston's character polly be the one that is like you need to do this really <laughs> reinforces her scene with Virginia a few episodes ago and just a how great <laughs> Carrie Preston was in that scene <laughs> eat the cupcakes they're getting cold uh, but um the how deeply 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 loyal mm-hmm. she is to Daz and um just the links she's willing to go to convince people that they need to be loyal to Daz as well mm-hmm. and to the point of sacrificing their own happiness and it's just it's so good and it's so it's like the it's low-key the best part of the show for me in a lot of ways is yeah. the, the links to which these women will go to support each other but especially to support Daz and the degree to which like um I can't remember her name but the married woman mm-hmm. um and her like the (laughs) blonde and her whole struggle dealing with her husband getting deeper into uncle daddy and what that means for her relationship and on all number of fronts which is the show's explored well um has just again like when it's focused on these women it's a significantly more interesting and powerful show that is absolutely the best part of the show as far as i'm concerned not even close um and yeah and the way that they linger in that coffee scene Mm-hmm. with the decision to put the pill in the the cup and then the decision not to stop her from drinking it which you see her almost make a couple yeah. times in that brief exchange just like and her soul's like dying in front of your eyes and it's just oh so good so thank you for keeping me on on the claws bandwagon noel Woo! yay woo woo indeed you Last- owe me a check tnt <laughs> For that one viewer that doesn't have Nielsen. <laughs> um, well, let's move to our last episode of the week. And that is the bold type. And this is the breast issue. Um, so how did, because I think we'd agree. The least interesting part of the show has been Jane. Um, they give her a backstory of trauma in this episode and loss. And as well as not taking the easy way out by giving her a looming diagnosis for them to deal with at some point in the future. Um, how did that they do do you care about jane now oh i've always liked jane and this is in no small part because of the performer who i've loved from faking it and so um watching her navigate this new character has been a lot of fun and so i've always sort of liked jane the degree to which i'm invested in her is still sort of wishy-washy because i immediately went why aren't you fired right now (laughs) beyond our um, supportive mentors? You can't do that again to me um, sort of thing, but also just like you should have been fired, sweetheart. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Any other like real life setting, you would have been fired, but no, we're in a TV show, so you don't get to be fired. Um, Yeah. And that's like, that's the only reason she's not fired. Um, But so I like it. And what I, what I like about it is um, sort of 
how her resentment or how some of her like fears had built up over the past the course of this series so far of uh, the fact that she's been consistently asked to be vulnerable in her writing so to have this all come to a head and have her lash out against um Jacqueline Jacqueline thank you um was really really good and it was something that I hadn't really like rationalized in a way until it happened in this episode so i really liked how this all kind of came out and how really wonderful it was as like a big emotional moment and i think that much more than the character backstory is what sort of put me into an emotional investment place with uh jane yeah no i agree um i think that they i i also think i I, from what you're saying i think you'd agree they took it too far they could have had her say all these points and not push quite as far as she yes. did. And then I would have believed her not getting fired a lot yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they like to keep doing that. They like, to, we're going to put her on a panel with a bunch of political reporters that she has no business being on. And <laughs> we're going to have her not get fired for blowing up at the managing editor of, you know, Vogue slash Cosmo. And, mm-hmm. and um, so, yeah, we're going to just going to we're going to let this be OK. And but yeah, so if they hadn't like pushed it so far, then yes, I would have believed it. Or if it had been behind closed doors as opposed to in the bullpen where everyone can see it yeah. um, or hear it, especially like yeah. it just modulated, like dial it back to like a nine as opposed to the 11 that they were at for the sake of the big emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have worked better in terms of just it would have played better. I still think that it it's effective. It just it's maybe it goes it goes for too big of an effectiveness when it just needed to go for slightly less. Yeah. I will say that I liked that they gave Kat a loss in this and they yes. didn't have her be right. They were overdue with that. So I thought that that was a good way to counterbalance a little bit with what we were getting with Jane. Um, and I, the sudden thing was fine. Um, and I liked that they didn't have Richard completely not understand like when he shows up obviously very convenient for love triangle stuff they want to do but also it, it does give him another point in good boyfriend category which i think they needed to do um in this episode from you know because they were giving him s- several demerits <laughs> so they kept things a little more even maybe um any thoughts on on cat or sutton yeah not too many things about the cat stuff just that i really appreciated what she was trying to do but cat mm-hmm as they've demonstrated very consistently is just and a lot of this is particularly with Kat and Jane uh, a little less so with Sutton but that they both get really wrapped up in this particular whatever their particular issue is and it's just what propels them for that week which makes sense but it becomes all-encompassing in a lot of ways and I like that they each had like breaking moments, like you said, within this episode, within this episode, that is just like a lot of build up the things that it's just like, you don't always get away with this sort of thing, yeah. even. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. The Sutton stuff was fine. As soon as she got out of the cab, I just went, Oh, she left it. In the yeah. Cab. Yep. Me too. And I just groaned like audibly. I groaned Kate. I groaned loud enough that my cat woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was just like, she left it in the cab, and now that's going to be the thing that she does for the rest of this episode, and I'm going to hate it. Mm-hmm. And I did. Like, it, it's bad. It's, it's stupid. Yeah. It's it's really stupid. It And it, it's, it, it's not an interesting enough screw-up, basically, because it's such a mundane, boring, run-of-the-mill screw-up for them. 
that all it takes really is security cameras. And then the whole thing with the guy not wanting to give them security cameras is just filibustering for the episode and padding it out. And it's just like, this is just really ridiculous because the solution is if you leave, will you leave if I just do this? And it's just like, what? But but there's no yeah. there's no arc to this plot whatsoever, and it's deeply deeply frustrating. It's only motivated, like you said, to really solidify the love triangle that they've that they that they've now very firmly set in place. Yeah, so uh, it's a shame. At least at least they gave her something to do that wasn't motivated by her finances, so she doesn't become too one dimensional. But yeah, you know, it's a yeah show you can do better. Yeah. Yeah, they can. Even as much as I've like come to, I think think Sutton's my favorite of like yeah. the three. Yeah, it's like she's just trapped in a really terrible plot this week. Or <laughs> <laughs> just like Sutton deserves better than this. Everyone, <laughs> I did really like getting to see Jacqueline's family though, and that yeah. she has a dog named Frida. Which come on, that's awesome. It's- is very is very cool, and also it was one of those instances where I immediately went. That is a house that that is an apartment condo that belongs to a woman who runs a magazine like this. Yeah. And, or in plus uh, whatever dual income, if there's a dual income that yeah. supports it. It's just like that is that is a apartment or condo in New York that makes sense for this character. Mm-hmm. And I was very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, me too. Me too. Uh, well, what wins your week in genre drama? Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm gonna give was it Volpe. Game of Jones. It was it, it was not Game of Jones as much <laughs> as I enjoyed that, but I think I'll give it to the Volt type this week. Um, but I'm I, I'm excited, Kate, to give it to mm-hmm. Claus next week. My fingers are crossed yeah. that I can give it to Claus next week. Um, based on everything that's set up, but I'll give it to Volt type this week. What about you? I'm gonna give it to my orphan black ketchup, okay? Because uh, I just had so much fun, and I yay! I'm so glad they fit. Chris, they had a crystal episode. Yay! She's always wonderful. Um, and uh, just again, props to them for the way that they have structured and built towards their finale. Uh, they've taken too many detours in the past, and they still have failed to give us a solid villain, like a really potent. Still. Well, like they've they, characters, they just they aren't willing to commit to someone as full on villain until this last season, and okay. it would have helped the show so much if they it's had done that sooner. It's kind of the reason, one of the reasons I bailed on the show is just like yeah. there's no good antagonist for them. And anyway, sorry, yeah. go on. Yeah, I'll, I'll be talking about that more next week yeah. <laughs> when I do the, the, some with some people who black watch the talk. show more consistently. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but so, anyways, that was what wins my week in the genre and drama. Now we will take a break and come back with a, a DVD shelf. Tears, because it's over. Tears of the Carmichael show. We'll be right back after this. Wow. 
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week at the DVD shelf, we wanted to take some time and spotlight not only the finale of The Carmichael Show, uh, which aired this week. They had a two-episode finale, um, or two episodes which served as the finale, I should say. Um, and, but then also to take a look back at the, the three-season run of this show, this little show that could, that everybody thought was going to just die after six episodes, <laughs> especially when it showed up and like got burned off its first summer. Um, so Noel, uh, shall we start with the, this week's episodes? We had a lot of discussion of power dynamics. Yeah, we did. So it sort of, it, we had three year anniversary and then gold diggers. Um, and they're both just really fascinating episodes of what people expect in relationships and how you navigate relationships. So like three year anniversary uses a threesome to discuss like emotional connectivity and which was really amusing and really interesting. And again, like we've very consistently said about this show is that they find ways to pivot from certain things into other things. It's just like, no, this isn't going to be an episode about how open minded and free that <laughs> they are and that they, they're open to this sort of um, exploitation, exploitation, exploration of their sexuality but about what this meant for them as a couple and where their commitment was to one another mm -hmm. so i really i really enjoyed that aspect of three-year anniversary plus it was just also just really really funny yeah and um like just from the pickup line to hey jessica ever seen westworld <laughs> and to, to bobby figuring it out which i was very happy about and then just cynthia's deep deep denial mm -hmm. um about it was also really really great but then gold diggers was also really really good as we got bobby dating a significantly older woman and everyone being very upset about this and really derogatory about it uh but then being totally cool once they're just like oh she's like super rich you go bobby but then like transitioning to the how money is about power dynamics within a relationship and then how that then transitioned into a discussion of black ideas about wealth within a certain subsection of the black community and it was just it was a really layered episode of stuff and I think just really one of the best examples of what this show does well without focusing necessarily on like one particular issue, but using this idea of wealth to discuss three different ideas in a, like in sort of a three topic paragraph essay sort of mm -hmm. thing. And I was just went, Oh God, Kate, I'm going to miss this show so much. <laughs> so much. They're going, they're going out really strong. Yeah. Um, I, I, for, the the first episode two moments stood out to me more than the rest yeah. uh first of all uh, david ellen greer going like oh, i guess this inequality of the genders thing is uh that's really true isn't it wow <laughs> that's that's crazy uh, how do i feel so happy for my son and so shame shameful towards my so ashamed of my future daughter-in-law at the same time that is crazy I'm going to continue just, to reinforce that. <laughs> just sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that as well as the completely sincere, oh, just always act as if we're in a threesome. Like <laughs> your, your, your thoughts and, and opinions and how you're feeling matters. Oh, okay. Like I just kept waiting for that to be, I was like, okay, we get it. 
sarcasm it's like oh no he's being sincere he's being sincere no i was waiting oh. for sarcasm too and then it became real and i just went oh, oh wow that's a, such a better way to go yeah <laughs> but also like his sincerity and being like i'm a bad boyfriend i don't understand why you're still with me <laughs> yeah it was it was very good and, and just this I like that then that's followed up in the next episode with this discussion of power dynamics and him being a terrible boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Literally and, just the worst. Just the worst. <laughs> and, and, and Maxine never feels the need to correct him or like, it's like, I'm clearly an example of someone who doesn't act like that. If I yeah. had the money in this relationship, I would not act like you are acting right now. And I love how he immediately turns like beta. Like, yes, she doesn't do anything. He's the one who does it. <laughs> right. And it's just like, I, I tip that guy $200 just to stay out there all day, just in case you wanted me to leave. <laughs> <laughs> just, and just showing how the mess of gender and power dynamics in a couple, usually it's both people contributing to that, but sometimes all it takes is one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just super fascinating because it's like you say he um, he assumes it immediately, but there's no money yet. Yeah, and she's not doing anything like you said to encourage this behavior. He just automatically falls into it and mm -hmm. falls back into other things as well. He's just like gold chain. We we spent hundreds of years in chains, and yet we keep going back to them. And just all of this stuff that gets layered into this episode is just it's it's just really smart and very funny. And is something that we've discussed with the show in particular, but also with like one day at a time. That it's something that feels wonderfully at home in the multicam format and just like I'm, I was paying so much attention to the blocking in these two episodes in mm -hmm. just not in terms of like people in terms of like what the blocking is saying but so much of just like they had to figure out ways to block this in a way where everyone is positioned in a semi-interesting way but in a way that everyone still kind of fits in the frame mm -hmm. and just the loveliness of having to think about that kind of thing as opposed to going, well, we can pick it up in coverage later or we can get it in editing later for the shot, shot reverse shot or whatever mm -hmm. we're going to do. And it's just like, no, we've got three cameras and we can we can make this work. And it just all of this feels, again, like the. It gives us it gives it a sense of urgency to me anyway. Um, and I mean, we can just get into the, all of this, like going back through the show's run and through the long tradition of multi camera sitcoms. Mm -hmm. um, but it it just has a real degree of urgency that I really respond to. And when you're dealing with topics like these as deftly as Carmichael show does, then. It just makes everything really click in place. And I like when things click into place, Kate. You know that. You, <laughs> you feel that way as well. So. I also like when things click into place. See the rest of our conversations <laughs> this week. It's been a very click right. into place kind of week. It has. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, it's interesting that a show that initially and still felt so old fashioned in its, uh, in its approach and in its um, occasionally in its tone or its, its rhythms, because it is an old school approach. It is a Norman Lear. It is like a, like a seventies approach to sitcoms here um, is so appropriate for the conversations that it's exciting to see television have again. Um, now it, it, 
that that it's just such a durable durable approach to take if you want to to make issues based you know television and that that is you know taking on topics of conversation that hopefully people are having around their living rooms and their dining room dining room tables um you just you're not gonna do you're not gonna go wrong going back to this multi-cam format because what you what you need if you want to have the full punch of this is the live studio audience you need that conversation between the show and the audience and to hear it and to engage with it and to feed off of their energy you do gain something with that that i think a lot of shows especially now that they're so comparatively there's comparatively few shows taking that approach meaning there are even fewer doing it very well (laughs) um it's easy for that to be overlooked, I think, or to be underappreciated, again, because so few shows do it well. But when you get a moment that captures the, that energy, when you get that dramatic moment between Gerard's parents, and you don't know if everything's going to be okay, and nobody in that audience is breathing, and you're not breathing at home either, um, and it's just electric, it makes any, you know, potential dull spot as you wait for an audience reaction that doesn't come it makes that worthwhile yeah no i mean like your mention of morris is really good but also like the entirety of like grandma francis Mm -hmm. um both of these like highlights of the season in terms of audience engagement and the other idea being that the show isn't set up in a way that they just want to engage the audience for like 20 minutes in terms of laughter in like there's more to it there and there's not not that there's anything wrong with just wanting to do 20 minutes of like sustained laughter type stuff but so easily that just goes well you don't necessarily need the audience for that kind of a thing and so that's why you end up like sweetening the laugh, the studio, the studio audience laughter a little bit on um, since very few, if any um, sitcoms today use an actual laugh track. I don't think mm-hmm. any of them do, um, but a lot of them probably sweeten in post um, that there's a different sort of engagement with that when you, the audience goes in knowing that they're here for something other than necessarily laughter there's a topicality to it or there's an understanding that there's going to be some sort of engagement with an issue or that there's going to be an undercurrent of something much more dramatic and like to my mind i always immediately go back to basically like the first three seasons of cheers where the last 10 minutes of every episode is sam and diane arguing in sam's office Mm -hmm. and it's just like you can it's funny but then also the audience is very clearly wrapped to the argument that's happening there because the laughter feels like a relief. And a lot of times in the Carmichael show, when there's a laugh, sometimes it feels like a relief in a lot of ways. Um, But also like an acknowledgement of, yeah, we thought this too. And we maybe didn't say it, um, but we thought it and we've discussed it and had fun out in our own homes about it. But watching it play out and having a discussion about these topics is just and then having it speak in a way that feels truthful, I think, is also like one of the other key things about the Carmichael show. Um, It's just it's really significant. And it's something like like this entire discussion has been saying that you can't get without a studio audience. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another show 
that we've seen take on topical issues around daily life and American culture and society that didn't have a laugh track, like an issue of the week kind of show. Is there one you can think of that was not a live studio audience? Well, I mean, and you actually referenced the show early on is like sports night. As soon as it got rid of its um, studio audience and then got rid of its laugh track um, is something that did that to a Mm -hmm. certain extent. Um, They weren't quite as like overly topical, but they did more like, you know, they did more of a larger cultural conversation type thing about uh, like whether or not it was okay to date a, adult film actress or homelessness or masculinity in sports and mm-hmm. uh, that kind and journalism journalistic responsibilities and that kind of thing so like those elements were there but the degree to which those were successful eh, debatable but it's also a show that isn't a single it was a single camera format show as well yeah. so this wasn't a multi-cam show in any way shape or form but they were Sorkin was attempting to deal with topical issues just not show not necessarily episodes that were felt immediately topical in a way that again like shoot up a bull ended up being mm-hmm. or like um protest in season one which i still think is one of the show's strongest episodes and that kind of a thing and I, I i that's like the only one that i can immediately think of off the top of my head um putting aside like one day at a time of course mm-hmm. um Oh, God, I can't wait for that to come back. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's the only one that I can immediately springs to mind. And that was 1998 and like 1999, I think, or mm. like the end of the 90s, basically. Yeah. And and everything else is like CW hour long family dramas. Well, of course, there's Blackish. Right, right. There's Blackish. But I feel like Blackish is in the sort of a weird sort of like. Blackish is just weird, and A, it's gotten a great deal more support. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, also, like, it has signifiers of quality in mm-hmm. terms of being single camera, in terms of being on in prime time in the fall spring schedule as opposed to in the summer schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as that is sort of getting blurred now, Blackish benefits from being that and also being a show that's gotten Emmy attention already. Yeah. And it has all these signifiers around it that help it along. And, but it's also a show that I think is for the most part goes for laughs a little bit more than it necessarily goes for deeper discussion based comedy. And I think that's really the big difference for me between Carmichael and Blackish is that Carmichael Blackish engages in discussions every once in dedicated discussions every once in a while, but it's a plot normally has a discussion and you can tell when it's a much more serious discussion if they have like say an animated segment that week. Mm-hmm. But Carmichael feels very much more because it doesn't it tends to skew B or C plots that Carmichael feels much more like a comedic televisual essay in a way that the blackish is not blackish is still in a lot of ways more beholden to sitcom family sitcom roots than for me, Carmichael is doing something different in that. It feels very much like a comedic televisual essay. 
Yeah, I love that description. I think that's very, like, that hits it right on the head. Uh, and, and the character that ends up being that mouthpiece is is Drad uh, almost right. every time. And you can tell because he'll go into the rhythms of that. Yeah. Um, when and, and the, the, Those tend to be the weakest parts. Uh, yeah. But they, I appreciate the sentiment and the approach. You know, just Carmichael is clearly the weakest actor <laughs> on this cast. And he is, but it's okay. It, it's, it's okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> They play to his strengths for the most part, and you know he's the creator and executive producer, and I would assume head writer, one of the writers. Um, so they know how how to use him well. But I mean, I gotta say, having seen um, Girls Trip this last week, oh yeah, cool. Uh, how was and, it? Oh, it was terrific. Very raunchy. <laughs> like we almost, my sister and I went together. We almost uh, went with with our mom, but she couldn't come, and I was very glad. <laughs> That there's certain conversations didn't need to see with my mom, um, but Tiffany Haydish uh, is the the people have been comparing her to Galifianakis in Hangover as far as like the breakout performer of that one, and she's definitely in that role in Girl Strip, and she's hilarious and getting a lot of attention, and it's so satisfying uh, to see that happen and to go. You guys should watch her on Carmichael show. She's really really good. She's right, like and she's- awesome. <laughs> She's super good in Keanu, too. Have you seen, like, she's amazing in Keanu as well, in, like, a really stealth role. I only made it, like, partway through Keanu. It's one of the very few movies I have ever mm-hmm. started and not finished. Because I, okay. I started it, and as, very shortly I was like, this is just an extended version of a couple of Keanu Peele sketches that I've already seen, and they were much better than this. So I stopped. Um, yeah. Are you saying I should go back to it for her? No, but I'm saying, like, when I watched it, I went, that's Nikisha. <laughs> and she's very good in this. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I, I'm, 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 I'm excited about the fact that, like, she's being considered, like, the Galifianakis of Girls Trip as well. Because it's very much like, she's, Nikisha is a character that basically comes in for a scene on Carmichael's show, kills it, and then gets out. Mm-hmm. Um, because like she doesn't get like a lot of extended play, um, and but yeah, no, she's had it. Uh, Haddish is very very good. So. Yeah, yeah. I do I go see Girls Trip? Unless you guys have an issue with uh, body humor, uh, uh, bodily function humor, I should say, or uh, references to sexual related things, go see. Girl strip because it's very very funny um and super just like it's a fun night at the cinema um i also was not familiar with Lil ray howry before this but apparently he's also in a new movie or something too and he's i'm so glad yeah, to, i, I look so. forward to looking out for him in other things after this well i mean he's been showing up he showed up on insecure this yeah. week and i don't know how like how much he's been on insecure previously but he showed up on insecure in a skype conversation this week and i just went i hope there's more of you well he was at the, he was at the going away party that we saw okay. for that one person right. who's moving to chicago um so that was a nice little thread there and and with molly going back and forth maybe she'll run into his, him again um but yeah i mean obviously everybody knows loretta divine and david allen Greer are amazing right. um but but it had been too long since they were on my TV. Um, so I've really appreciated getting to spend these last three seasons with them as well. Yeah, it, it's been really great, especially like Greer finds ways to make sure that Joe stays affable 
and but has a very distinct rhythm, which I've always really appreciated by Gru's performances, Joe, in this. Um, but this is something we've talked about with both of them is having just so much theater experience. And again, going back to the live audience and the rhythms of proscenium playing is like it's so important when mm-hmm. you're doing this kind of stuff. And it's like one of like been like one of my bones of contentions, like for the past like 20 years at this point, that <laughs> one of the reasons why like multicam sitcoms don't necessarily work as well as that very few actors who go into television have, again, the theater experience to do multicam sitcom well. Mm-hmm. Because they're not used to necessarily feeding off of an audience or how that works. They're just so used to being working towards the camera. And now it's just like after they do their stint in TV, then they go do Broadway. Mm-hmm. Now it's like it's been flipped in a lot of ways. And it's a fascinating thing. But then you get something like Divine and Alan Greer doing their things here and just like very little delightful bits of business that Divine does. Like even in this pair of episodes, like her whole thing of, placing the pistachios out one by one and then just throwing them into the trash in just delightfully affected ways. But it's so funny and really, really good. And just like how much divine gets Cynthia's just distress and discomfort at certain things across by doing very little apart from wringing her hands in very slight ways. And most of it's delivered through voice inflections of up questioning Mm -hmm. or um eyebrow raising but it's all it's all really really good but it's never big Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and i really appreciate and that's all from the fact that they're not playing to the cheap sheets cheap seats and it's it's just deeply deeply effective yeah absolutely do you have uh particular episodes or um, subplots that you will remember that that stand out to you over the whole series run? Well, I mentioned protest um, mm-hmm. already, which is a season one, season one, episode two, which is just really, really good, um, mainly because it's one of those episodes where like Cynthia goes and like, yeah, come to Jesus type of moments on. Um, that's really, really good. Um, let's see what else. Um, I'm, trying to scroll through not the Trump episode because that was a weird, weird letdown. Um, yeah, the Cosby episode similarly. And the Cosby episode is similarly sort of a weird sort of mishmash episode of this didn't necessarily work as well as we intended it to. Um, I think one of the things that I'll always just like about the show, and I've discussed this very consistently, and she's the one actor we haven't discussed, is... Um, Adam Stevens West is Maxine and just the fact that I think Maxine is legitimately my favorite character on the show. <laughs> and just a lot of that has to do with West's performance in that she never goes again, too heavy on being exasperated by everyone around her. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she's right, but never completely right in a lot of ways, but she's convinced that she's completely right <laughs> is stuff that I really enjoy. And again, like going back to Cheers is just like, it's a very Diane sort of character. And I will always love a Diane sort of character. And I really appreciate that the show always posited her in that place, even if I sometimes wanted her in a more sympathetic position sometimes. Yeah. But then we got it. In in particularly in three year anniversary of her just like talking and going like I need you to do this and I 
This is a breakup level event. Like, this is a significant enough thing. She's, like, she's, like, aggressively angry in this episode. Not aggressively angry, but she's, like, the angriest I think we've ever necessarily seen her. Yeah. And I really, really like that. It's just, like, she's just, like, we need to have a conversation about this. And also, you were just really rude to the woman we had a threesome with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I, it's those layers to Maxine that I really appreciate. And the fact that she has a degree of etiquette for an event that she's never done before, but you know, she's probably thought about this or <laughs> yeah. Um, no. so what about you? Like, um, were there episodes that have stood out from, I guess, seasons one and two in particular, since we've had a really pretty consistent discussion of season three this summer, um, that have stood out to you or any particular plots, um, that have been like stuck with you? Um, definitely the funeral, the, yeah. which was from season two, yeah. which really gave uh, David Allen Greer uh, a lot to work with, and and just how wonderful Marla Gibbs was mm-hmm. as as his mom, and then to bring her back in season three was just yeah. all the more affecting. Um, the 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 storm, which was the the plan B and uh, abortion and all that conversation, I thought was really good, and then just. The fact that they have made Joe a Trump voter without changing him, really, and with getting plenty of criticism of him, I would say they let him off the hook a bit, but in a way that feels very real, because what are you supposed to do with your family members you know, who like, there's one of two things that you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. What, what is Cynthia going to do? You know? So, yeah. you know, what is, what is Maxine going to do? This is still her father now father-in-law. And, um, so I thought the way that they, the, the amount of respect for him, like the, the choice to make him a Trump voter and to not back away from that or have that change in the, in season three somehow, um it was very and interesting sort of like double down on it a little bit to a certain yeah. degree like support the troops yeah and where it resurfaces a fair bit yeah um and then the the less we say about new neighbors with their uh, muslim neighbors the better yeah let's just forget that one exists yeah i don't want to talk about that that's like i don't like definitely their worst episode yeah, by far and away their worst episode and it's it's very weird and it's 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 it runs counter to like this idea of like, oh God, I'm really enamored with this essay idea now, <laughs> but like where like you sort of lose an argument in like the Trump and the Cosby episodes, but there's virtually no argument in that episode that makes sense. Yeah, that's really an unfortunate thing. So uh, let's, let's pivot back away and say yeah. how much we've loved the Carmichael show and how glad I am that this is the kind of show that can exist in hashtag PTV. That, like, that well, they kept around. Well, they, the, the reason it's, it's gone yeah. is not because of NBC. It's because Gerard Carmichael said, I'm done. And when the creator and star says, I'm done, you're done. Yeah, yeah. So I, we wouldn't have gotten a second season of this in a different time period because <laughs> it did not get the ratings to justify it. It was just one of those like things where like, I mean, season season one gets burned off in three weeks mm-hmm. and then season two gets not burned off. And then season three definitely does not get burned off until right here at the very end. 
and doing a two episode finale is not even burning it off. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, I, I do think it's something that is something that would have only happened here, but it's also something that I wish had aired in the fall schedule really. Oh yeah, and definitely. had gotten a chance to, in a lot of ways, helped NBC sort of like rebuild their whole concept of a must-see TV sort of thing in a very topical vein as opposed to we're going to renew Will and Grace for a second season oh, without even God. having seen a single episode. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I mean, we haven't discussed that really. And I feel like we need to at some point before it airs maybe. Mm-hmm. And just like the sheer weirdness of that beyond the fact that it's just it's very clearly a business decision of them wanting to lock them down. Mm-hmm. But it's also just a lot of like the discussions that I've seen around it of just like, this was a very, this was a very weird show even then in a lot of ways. And the discussions that you're having at TCAs about it do not reaffirm this idea that (laughs) this is not going to still be sort of a weird show again in terms of like your general politics in a lot of ways, because I mean, just watching like random episodes, even early episodes when it was on, it was just like, it's not necessarily a show that is aged particularly well. And this goes back into a larger discussions about like, especially political comedy of the moment and how well this is going to age. And to like bring it back is like Carmichael's show like is highly, highly topical, but in a way that often feels timeless. And that's really significant and really, really important for like when we go back and we reevaluate this particular period and this sort of thing in whatever eventual think piece happens, we'll be able to say, but this show was doing this and it was doing it very well without necessarily feeling overly isolating or, Oh, right. I do have to remember that whole astronaut driving halfway across the country to get this joke in 30 rock thing. Yeah. 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 Well, it's because these are conversations as people, as a society, we continue to have and have and have. And if it's not about the specific, if it's not about Bill Cosby, it's about somebody else. Right. So these are, these are universal ideas and it's great to see a show, to watch, you've been able to watch this show for the last three seasons, engage with them. Hopefully there will be more shows (laughs) engaging with issues on this level. Like one day at a time is a wonderful show um, that certainly didn't back away from issues like immigration and, and other in you coming of age and coming to terms with the one's identity and sexuality and all of that. PTSD. PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and veterans of veterans issues and dealing with trying to get through that's still one of the, I think their best episode um, but um, but it, it, in a much more traditional format not in a the way we wait TM Noel Kirkpatrick please pitch a think piece on this um, I don't have the, the essay wor- format I don't have the time to do that but yes yeah that's kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah it's certainly been a show that we've enjoyed very much and I'm so glad so glad that um that I came back after the first episode because I watched the first I don't know if you remember I watched the first episode and was like yeah and then I think you got me to watch the second episode and I did I was like oh no this is really good <laughs> never mind <laughs> I'll watch more. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I did that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Like my recollection of season one is like really hazy. Yeah. Uh, so um, beyond protest. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't really. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm really glad. I'm really sad this is gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts, Noel? Uh, 
No, just beyond, I think that this may be sort of like, I'm worried that this is going to be like the best project um, a lot of these particularly young actors are going to get. Mm -hmm. um, just based on like um, where West is going for the fall. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, but there's plenty of room for like other really good projects. But I also feel like this is going to be one of the sort of quiet, subtle achievements for Robert Devine and David Allen Greer. Yeah, definitely. And so certainly just uh, showing just how valuable comedic properties they are for yeah. ca for casting. So cast all of these people, the, all of Hollywood who is listening, clearly, yeah. at this point, over two hours into our podcast this week. We, we have a gift, guys. Yeah. How many We're, other podcasts have gifts? Clearly. Clearly. Yeah, We're the best. Thank yeah. you, Carl. Well, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post to this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV, what you thought of the Carmichael show, and maybe what your favorite episode was. You can also find um, us over at uh, Facebook. Like the page, start a conversation there. You can start a conversation over on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And of course, we're on iTunes with an M4A chapter feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. And we'd appreciate ratings and reviews. And if, uh, if, if, if social media is not your thing, you can always email us, the televerse at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much, Noel. Uh, always appreciate talking TV with you. Thank you for being my co host. Thank you, Kate. It's been a delight talking <laughs> to you today. <laughs> NPR and... voices at the end. No, no, it's messing <laughs> with my head. No. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for listening to us. NPR voices and all. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. the top short all right you um, good uh yeah i should be um yeah i'm recording it's picking me up i'm not even close to the mic which is nice yeah just gotta sit back relax <laughs> you, can, you can't get your npr all. on though you have to be close to the mic if you're gonna go npr oh do you want me to go npr no i feel like it's slightly disturbing okay no i'm gonna talk like this for the entire podcast <laughs> what have i wrought <laughs> nope. okay